Hi everyone, welcome to the Idiots Podcast, that's infectious disease insight of two specialists. I'm Jane, that's Callum, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about infectious disease. Soon may the editing come to discontinue the Tazo Sun. One day when the CRP's done, we'll take our leave and go. Welcome back. This is part two of our MDR XDR extravaganza. Hope you enjoyed. So let's move on to talk about carbapenem resistant enterobacterialis. Yeah. So let's talk about CREs. We'll go back to ESPIN now. And we're going back to ESPIN's way of doing things, which is what you would use for initial treatment. It's interesting for the initial treatment of severe infection with a CRE, they would recommend meropenem vaborbactam or keftazidim avabactam. So you're moving straight on to the the new beta-lactam, beta-lactamase inhibitor combinations. And for, for reminding the, uh, the loyal listener of what they are, they would be meropenem vaborbactam, keftazidim avabactam, imipenem silostatin with relabactam, or kefidericol. If treatment fails with keftazavi or meropenem vaborbactam, they recommend moving to kefidericol. Just a second. So what I'm reading here, it says, if they've got severe infections to CRE, if they're sensitive in vitro, use meropenem vaborbactam or keftazidim avibactam. If they have severe infections due to CRE carrying metallobetalactamases and or resistant to all our antibiotics, including keftazidim avibactam and meropenem vaborbactam, use cofidirogol. So the cofidirogol is like a level above. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. So yeah, if they are expressing NDM, then move straight to kefidericol. If they're not, then, and you've got susceptibility data, you can treat, try a treat with merovab or keftazavi. For non-severe infection, they make a recommendation just to treat as to whatever antibiogram you've got. So whatever options you have, you can trial. If you have a complicated UTI, Again, they make a recommendation for aminoglycosides over tigacycline for empirical treatment. And then they may make a recommendation not to use tigacycline for blood treatment infection, HAPS or VAPS, but you can use it for other pneumonias as long as you use the high dose, i.e. the dose that went head-to-head with meropenem and came out uh, as non-inferior. And then they do not make any uh, they state that they've got no evidence and so therefore don't make a recommendation against or for imipenem relibactam or IV phosphomycin. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So, and then the, the, there's a really interesting bit of the, of the guidance where they recommend combination therapy in severe infection as follows. If you've got evidence of metallobetalactamase and resistance to keftazidim avibactam or meropenem vaborbactam, they recommend using a combination of aztrianam with keftazavi. And the listener might be thinking, why are we using keftazavi if you know that it's resistant to keftaz avibactam? It's because the metallobetalactamase will confer resistance to uh, the keftazidim, no problem. But the as the combination of avibactam and aztrianam, we'll still treat it because metallobetalactamases are relatively susceptible to aztrianam. 
and the Ava, the uh, Ava Baxham will kind of preserve that and uh, as a beta lactamase inhibitor will help the Astrianam to maintain susceptibility. If you had Astrianam and Avabactam in a combination drug, you would just use that, but you don't. So you have to use Keftazabi plus Astrianam, even though you don't care about the Keftazidine mm. at all. If sensitive to the following, you can use dual therapy. This is only if a beta-lactam, beta-lactam is never a combination is unavailable. So if you test this drug, this organism against Keftazabi, Meropenem, Vaborbactam, Imipenem, Salastatrum, Relabactam, or Kefidericol, and it's sensitive, just use that. But if you can't, and it's sensitive to these drugs, you can use them in combination therapy. So they are all aminoglycosides, phosphomycin, tigacycline, and colistin. So they're not trusted as monotherapy, but you can use them in combination hmm. therapy if you can't use the beta-lactam, beta-lactam, it's never a combination. Then you can use what is defined as high-dose meropenem. You can define that as two grams three times a day, if I'm not mistaken, Carol. Only if the MIC is less than eight, and in combination with the, the first four things that I mentioned, you can use high-dose meropenem. It says high-dose extended infusion meropenem. Yeah, so the two grams has to be put in over three hours. Wow. That's what they mean by that. Yeah. yeah. So if you think you're given that three times a day, that's three, six, nine hours out of 24, you're given meropenem to the patient. But if you need to, you can do it. It's really a intensive care thing, mostly. Yeah. If you've got somebody that needs that, usually they're sick enough to warrant the, uh, the tender cares of our critical care colleagues. It can be done on the ward, though. Yeah. When it comes to the IDSA, we return to our UTI, complicated UTI, and other infection kind of layout, which I, I really like a lot more uh, than SBID's uh, layout. But anyway, let, let's start with UTI. So you have a carbapenase resistant enterobacteriales, but it's only in the urinary tract. It's an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. You can use the same stuff that you would use for an ESBL. Nitrofurantoin, cotramoxazole, or a quinlone of your choice. You can also use a stat aminoglycoside, and here they've got some recommendations. They would recommend plasomycin over amacasin over any other aminoglycoside, so gent, tobra, canamycin, etc., etc. If you know that the organism is resistant to ertapenem, but still sensitive to marrow, so the MIC is less than or equal to one, you can use standard dose meropenem. That's not a true uh, CRE mm. in the eyes of IDSA. If it is an E. coli, you could use phosphomycin. And as a last resort, you could use colistin. So for complicated UTI, their first-line therapy is quinlones or cotramoxazole. And again, if we can use meropenem if it's resistant to ertapenem, but sensitive to meropenem, again, with an MIC of less than or equal to one. For second-line therapy, they recommend either the new beta-lactamase, beta-lactamase inhibitor combinations, so keftazabi, uh, merovab, uh, imipenem with relabactam, or kefidericol, or an aminoglycoside. And they rec make recommendations against using phosphomycin or nitrofurantoin, which I, I don't think many people would use for a complicated UTI anyway. Wait a second. So they're saying do not use oral phosphomycin 
for complicated UTI and pyelonephritis. But in the in the other guidance, the estimate yeah. one, it was saying we could use orophosphomycin for complicated UTI if it was E. coli, because it's less likely to have fossy. Is that am I getting that right? Yes, so that's, that's right. So E. coli, I mean E. coli can be resistant against it's less likely because it doesn't carry fossil very often, whereas say pseudomonas a lot of the time does. Uh, and so that's why that's the that's the main mechanism. But the S commit is a bit more permissive with phosphomycin than IDSA, probably because of lack of experience of phosphomycin on that side of the pond. Mm. Uh, although that's changing because that, that recent uh, trial that I mentioned comparing phosphomycin as step-down therapy compared to ertapin and bioopat that was non-inferior, that was done in California. Uh, and so I think over the next few years, we might find that phosphomycin is going to be used more and more on both sides of the pond as confidence increases yeah. um, with it as a drug. Um, I'm still working through what I think about phosphomycin as well. Okay. But then for, for non-UTI infections with, with CREs, what do they make a recommendation for? So if it's ERTA R, but marrow S, they would recommend as first-line therapy, extended duration meropenem, so two grams over three hours, three times a day. Or a second line, keftazidine avobactam, if sensitive. If it's meropenem resistant, they would recommend testing against and then use of the new beta-lactam, beta-lactam, number of combinations, as mentioned before. If you're worried about or you know that you're dealing with a metallobatalactamase, the New Delhi, Vim, Imp, uh, then they would recommend Astrianam combined with Keftazidine Avabactam or Kefidericol as the drugs of choice. So that's different because in the estimate guidance, it was saying that if it was a, an infection outside the urinary tract, then the first line was they were recommending Keftaz, Avi, or Meroverobactam if they were known to be sensitive, whereas in this, it's saying extended infusion meropenem, first line. Yeah, for severe infection, uh, they were recommending Merovab or Keftaz, Avi. Yeah, CRV. whereas this in the, yeah. in the IDSA, which I think maybe, because I know that you're saying that you prefer the way the IDSA one is laid out, and I think I agree, but I, I do like when it's differentiating se- severe infection in estimate. I almost wonder if we could combine the two and we could come, we get quite complicated. But then if you're like, okay, it's UTI uncomplicated, UTI complicated, severe, non-severe, outside of the urinary tract, mm-hmm. severe, non-severe. I, I know what you mean. I, I kind of like the idea of one guideline to rule them all. I mean, I guess the, you know, like no, no shade on IDSA and no shade on SMID either. They kind of have to operate in the antibiotic milieu in which they find themselves. There are some antibiotics which are not available in the UK and in the EU, um, but which are available in the US and vice versa. And so I understand the, the kind of rationale for uh, having separate guidances. I mean, we've seen this before with the endocarditis guidance. We? So we've got IDSA or, or ACC guidance. We've got um, ESC guidance, and we've got separate to that UK guidance because because leave means leave, doesn't it, Callum? So you've got so many guidelines to choose from, you don't know what to do with yourself. But yeah, I mean, we've got lots of guidance to do, choose from on either side of the pond. We do need separate guidance, really, because 
we have a different antibiotics to choose from. And, you know, I think I kind of like that variety because there's some stuff that, that just is covered by one society, but is covered by the other. So the, the, the example that comes to mind is central line associated bloodstream oh, yeah. infection. There's a guidance from IDSA, which is now out of date and archived actually, but I have not seen a guidance produced by any yeah, other institute. So I still use it. Yeah, what else are you meant to use? Because I don't have anything else to go with. Like, it's, it's nice exactly. to have a guideline to check and make sure they're not doing something mad. Well, it does, even if it's from, you know, a thousand years ago or whenever I, uh, IDSA published it. If nobody's replaced it with something better, nobody's got better evidence that has been published, then I kind of have to go with what they've recommended. Well, I guess you can look at the newer evidence but that's that's quite time consuming when you're really busy and you're having to make a lot of decisions a day. Um, even if you did, you might not be believed by your superiors. And so all your hard work may go to nothing. So the value of having a consensus in the ID community, either from IDSA arrestment, even if it is based on, you know, not very much in the way of evidence, I think has value because it lets everybody work to a standard, even if that standard is not, you know, supported by mountains. And yes, mountains I guess if you've got a, a paper and it's open to interpretation, or often with many papers, you know, it's hard with one paper to come to a firm conclusion about what the right thing to do is. But with a guideline, at least someone's put some interpretation on that. And you may not agree with a paper's uh, conclusions, but I guess you know, maybe a guideline has, is a bit easier to follow and it's a bit easier to, to defend your practice based on it. But yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. Anyway, so we were talking about infections outside of the urinary tract and we talked through theory resistance to ertapenem, but sensitive to meropenem. This last bit I, I, I really like so because they've got recommendations by carbapenemase. So a lot of parts of uh, the UK, certainly, and, other, and, and this is becoming very common in labs, have a, usually have a PCR, which will let you know if you've got resistance to the five big carbapenemases. So that's three metallobetalactamases, oxo-48 and KPC. If you've got KPC resistance, they would recommend treatment with keftazavi, meropenem Imipenem, Silas, Saturn, Relibactam over Colistin. If you've got NDM, they would uh, recommend Keftazavi plus Aztrianam or Kefidericol. And if you've got uh, Oxa 48, they would recommend treatment with Keftazavibactam. Yeah. Or as an alternative to all of that, if you can't use any of those, uh, you could try and take a cycle. And then the last thing that they'd recommend is to avoid colistin because of an excess mortality in association with AKI or combination therapy with other things. Yeah. Yeah. They were talking about like they used to give combination of extended infusion, uh, meropenem with amiclasin, uh, aminoglycoside or uh, polymyxin colistin, but that seemed to be associated with excess mortality. So. And this is becoming a more and more common scenario where you have CPE. So this is this bit's laid out really nicely. I, mm. I imagine you've got a little flow chart that you've made. Is that what you're looking down at? I uh, did actually. Yeah. Yes. James is a mind a mapper. Flow chart. <laughs> a mind mapper and a flow charter. 
this thing is begging itself to be mind mapped and flowcharted, surely. You know, thinking about these guidances overall, they, they've certainly got some consistent messages, don't they? They're, they're, there are some drug classes that they trust and some that they don't. So quinolones and um, coltrim they'll trust and carbapenems. And carbapenems are, are beta-lactamases with new beta-lactamases, inhibitor combinations. But they will be less trustful of, say, aminoglycosides or you know, nitroferantoin. Both guidelines take an absolute kicking to tigacycline, uh, somewhat undeservedly, I think. I'll, I'll not say any more lest I get a kicking myself. But I think that these guidances, particularly when you're dealing with really, really resistant organisms, provide people with a good steer as to what they think are the best options available. And I mean, I, I remember, Cal, when we first came, uh, when I first came back from my uh, PhD and I started a micro with you, we basically just started doing colistin resistance in our lab. And that was very specifically because of carbapenemase resistant enterobatralis. And I remember thinking, ooh, colistin must be a really good drug now. I wonder why we don't use it all the time. And then I found out it's absolutely god-awful. It's incredibly toxic. And, you know, we don't stopped using it for that reason. And we're, we're using it now out of absolute desperation. Last resort. The, the, the use of colistin is not an indication that you're doing great. It's an indication of failure. And so when it comes to you know, treating really, really resistant organisms, use of other things like aminoglycosides, quinolones, or the new beta-lactamase, beta-lactase inhibitor combinations should be kind of foremost in your mind as the, as the best thing to do. And these things that have been chosen by our respective societies that have a good outcome. If you want a, a really nice summary of everything we just talked about, because I know we've kind of waffled a little bit, uh, the febrile podcast uh, episode which we'll link to, is really worth uh, looking at, uh, summarising both IDSA and ESMIC guidance uh, for this. Have we talked about everything? I think so. Uh, the, the only last thing to say is that there's a bit of the, the, there's some recommendations that we've not talked about, which are relating to non-fermenting organisms, so your Pseudomonas and your Acetobacterbiomaniae, which is a common carrier of carbapenemases. We will go over that when we go over the respective episodes of, of Pseudomonas and batter, but we'll not mention them further for now. Great. So uh, any questions, comments, or suggestions, why don't you uh, send them into idiotspodcasting at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is idiots underscore pod. If you have a five-star review that in your back pocket, why don't you leave it in your podcast player of choice? But until next time, I'm Jane. I'm Callum. See you then. Now that the episode's done, we hope you learned and had lots of fun. So go forth and treat people with some of what you now know.